0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: I want to talk today about faith. Faith is an important quality to be developed. It's... um, It's a foundational quality. Faith is the oomph. It's the emotional oomph that gets us to want to be here, that gets us to want to show up. I think faith is what, definitely what got me to sit meditation for the first time and it sustained me all these years. So what do you have faith in? What do I have faith in? Faith is kind of a funny word in uh, English. The Pali is sada, And because in the Western civilization, which is dominated by the Abrahamic religions, faith has more of a uh, sense of belief. But this Buddhist faith, Sada, is um, more the sense of. Emotional oomph, but to come and see. Epinocico. The Buddha invites us to come and see, to sit down, to take our seat. It's this foundation. So another word that it's been translated as, which I prefer, is confidence. That we can sit with confidence, that we can practice with Confidence. And confidence is very akin to another word called bala, strength. So we sit with confidence and we practice with confidence and we practice with strength. And when doubts come up, we call on our strength. When there's a room full of strangers... We might have qualms about walking into that room, but if we're bolstered by the faith or confidence in compassion, in friendliness, in presence, that faith, that confidence, it um, it nourishes our intention our intention to be there with kindness so we can go in the room perfumed in kindness and compassion and friendliness and maybe we'll have a great conversation, maybe we won't. And it's okay. Because of our confidence in our practice, this is the way. I have a new grandson. He's a baby. I have pictures you can see afterwards. (laughs) And he has a lot of faith. It's the first faith. He has faith in his mother, his father, his grandmother, his grandfather. Whenever he looks at someone who loves him and he loves, he breaks out in a smile, a big radiant smile. It's wonderful. And when I go in and um, he's being held by someone and he looks at me and he breaks into this smile and he goes like this, and I hold him. He wants to be held, and he has faith. He has faith in me that I can hold him and he'll be safe. And he'll be comfortable and he'll be at ease and he can relax and he'll have well-being until he gets hungry or tired. All the things we want from practice. He has faith in, you could say he has faith in nature. in the goodness of nature. I'm a chaplain at a uh, hospital. I've been a chaplain for many years and I'm so inspired by, um, every time I go, I'm so inspired by um, the patients, some of the patients. Last time I was there, I walked in one room and this woman had just gotten a, uh, a port for her dialysis. She'd never had dialysis before. And she said she was so grateful that she was going to live. So grateful, so happy, just a big, sm- simple smile. And I'm thinking, Wow for the rest of her life this woman is going to have to have dialysis for five hours a day at least four days a week and then she's got to recover from that that's going to be her life she's so grateful just to be alive there was this other room I I walked by and I saw this uh, big head and shrunken body and I felt aversion to stay away. So, as I often or always do, when I feel this, I walk right in the room. And it always works out well. And this man he was 60 in his 60s, he had muscular dystrophy. He was such an inspiration. He was one of the happiest, freest, most grateful person I've ever known. I spent quite a bit of time with him over a couple of weeks. The first thing he told me was how wonderful the hospital is, how grateful he is for the nurses and just everybody's so nice to him and such nice situation there and so forth. He wakes up with this, with this simple peace and happiness. And then he told me about his life. Um, his sister had muscular dystrophy, which is kind of strange. I didn't think it was a genetic thing. And his parents, it is, his parents did not have it. <coughs> Um, his family was of very moderate means. So there wasn't a lot of material good stuff there. And as I talked to him for a couple of hours, nothing really came up too much about a lot of friends or family, any family at all. But um, what he did talk about was how grateful and how one he was for his parents, how wonderful his parents were, how they loved him so much. And they took him everywhere. And they took his sister everywhere. And his sister died um, when she was 47. And he just talked with such great compassion for his father, who was, he felt very broken up at the loss of his daughter. Sweet. And then his father died, and he was. it was just him and his mother. And then his mother got kind of old, so they had to get a caregiver for him. So they hired a homeless woman. So a homeless woman came into their home and lived with them, And then she brought her kids, three kids. And then his mother died. So here he was, this wonderful man, living with a homeless woman and her three kids. And his commentary on that was, it was a dream come true. I finally had a family. And it was proven out in just about five minutes after he said it. He says, there they are. And his caregiver, woman, mother, whatever, came in with a son. And a big smile came across his face. And he says, hi, Billy. And you could just see they were a family. And Billy came up to him, just came right up, eight-year-old boy, and said hi to him. And it was a happy time. Simple happiness, simple peace. So achievable by us human beings. I'll tell you just one more chaplain story. So um, same day, I went into a room with a a woman. She was in her 80s and she had a uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, COPD, which is causes you to suffocate. Not very pleasant. So she was in the hospital because she was suffocating and they had to help her breathe. Not an uncommon occurrence and this disease ends in, it's a terminal disease. She also had um, congestive heart failure, which is terminal. Causes the lungs to fill up, makes breathing very difficult no energy, tired all the time. She also had macular degeneration. She was 85% blind. And she had cancer. This woman had bad luck. (laughs) But not in her mind. She wasn't talking about her bad luck. She wasn't talking. She wasn't complaining. She did say that she thought the chemo because she didn't smoke. The chemo was responsible for her COPD, but she wasn't complaining about anything. She did say, I'm so grateful. I'm so happy to be alive. And by the way, she was so lovely to talk to just before that. She was just, her way was so kind of lovely and honest and truthful and generous. So I I, uh, was curious, uh, what, what do you value so much about being alive? And she just thought about it for a second, and then she just said, just the wonder of being alive, the wonder, the miracle, it's just so amazing to be here. And she was also... Very grateful that she lived long enough to see her sons grow up. So we have faith in Buddhism. In some way, we have faith in Buddhism, in the teachings, in the teachers in each other, in the huge, huge, huge world of practitioners through history, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people just like you and me that are practicing this path of freedom and peace. Doing it. Finding freedom, finding some freedom, finding finding some peace and ease and well-being, finding some relief from stress and suffering, doing it. And Sada literally means faith in the awakened one, or faith in the ability to awaken. We have the ability to awaken. We need to rouse our faith. We can do this. Every day I have an altar with Buddhas and uh, a couple of my dogs who I have died, and my wife and my daughter and myself holding my daughter. And I bow to all these things a lot. And I'm bowing um, to what I have faith in. I'm bowing to my own wisdom. When I look at myself and I bow, I'm bowing to my own wisdom that's helped me so much. The Buddha, the the main Buddha is uh, Kuan Yin, riding on a lion and salient quality is compassion so I'm I'm bowing to the great compassion of Kuan Yin who radiates compassion for all beings everywhere all through time and vowing for my love and compassion and kindness and well wishes for my family and for those dogs that are dead and for all beings everywhere, faith. And, um, and I, have faith in, uh, I have faith in so many things. I have faith in, in the practice. In, I have faith in ethical behavior as I go through my life, and that's going to work out well for me. Faith in generosity. What do you have faith in? You should know. We should know what we have faith in, and activate our faith. Activate our confidence. This is our way. This is what we know. Faith is the. Uh, it's one of the five um, strengths. There are all these lists in Buddhism, so this is one list. This is one context for practice. There are many, many contexts for practice. The Four Noble Truths, the Seven Factors of Awakening, on and on. But this context is... uh, and, And faith is the foundation of all of them. Without faith, we don't show up. So with faith, we show up in our meditation posture, and um, attention arises, awareness arises. And you could say that this is where our primary faith lies, is in our awareness. So like uh, the baby being held by the mother when we sit we are held in awareness and our awareness accompanies us all through our lives. Awareness is our best friend. Our awareness sees us. It knows us. It knows everything. It's with us through aging and sickness and dying maybe with us after death, who knows? So, we bow to awareness, faith in our awareness, our confidence in awareness that this is the way. Gil made a beautiful analogy to awareness on Wednesday. He said, he was a, He took a raft. He was on a raft for four weeks going down the Colorado River and he said he was held by the raft. The raft was like awareness. And the raft, the awareness held him through long stretches, of beautiful, peaceful river And it held him through rapids. And it held him through back currents. Had to navigate. So we can relax into this awareness and stand in this awareness or sit in this awareness and be embraced by it, held by it. But we also have to navigate and we might come against a big rock so these are the five indrias the next indria is effort there's something about us that just wants to be here we want to be here even if it's tough to be here we want to be here We want to be here if we're up against a rock. But we choose our way and there are lots of things that we can do with this rock. With this presence against with the rock in our heart, perhaps. Um, we can... Uh... So mindfulness is uh, the third indriya. So mindfulness sees, hey, this is, this is a stuck situation here. And mindfulness informs the effort. Maybe some self-compassion is in order here, or maybe some letting go is in order here. Or maybe some stronger faith, calling on some stronger faith is in order here. So um, so we make an effort. And again, there are many teachings in many contexts. Um, two, uh, two of the uh, most powerful and useful reflections to deal with rocks the reflection on loving-kindness, compassion. Mudita is wishing people well for their success rather than being jealous of them, that kind of thing. And the um, reflection on death. The fact that we're not going to be here soon. We're going to be dead soon. And we're going to be dead for a really long time. So, we're here now, but it's not going to last very long. So you might not want to just dwell on this rock. You might want to try to get to something that's a little nicer than this rock. Let go of this stupid rock. This rock that is like, you know... Worried about money. My friend in the hospital, he's getting along pretty well with that much money. And I think intellectually we know that. But uh, I've heard that a huge percentage of people go to bed at night worried about money. Worried about all kinds of social stuff social worries are huge worries for human beings part of our wiring one of my favorite uh, death reflections is uh, in tibet the monks are taken to a charring ground and um They're accompanied by slicers, people with long, sharp knives. And they slice them into bits. And the vultures know this charring ground well, and they flocks of vultures descend on this body and eats it up very quickly within a matter of minutes. That's you, me. And then the monks then grind the bones into dust and... Toss them into the air. So in this context, this reflection is very helpful in getting us around rocks and taking uh, Dan's criticism of us not quite so seriously. But anyhow, mindfulness informs us there's a rock might want to go this way and the effort takes us in a certain direction. An effort toward something that is going to bring us peace and ease and relief from this stress and suffering and avoiding or moving away from the effort that causes us stress discomfort, anguish, pain, suffering. And then um, as the mind settles from this effort and this mindfulness kind of checking things out and keeping things, trying to keep things moving, and as our faith grows and develops, our concentration becomes stronger and we can become more present. And as we become more present, we uh, maybe can enter into some silence, more silence. I think we're afraid of this silence. Silence. We're afraid, you know, we're we're afraid we can't do it. So we uh, churn and churn and go in different directions and let distractions and things, you know. And you could say, well, you know, it's because these things are so strong, but it could also be just lack of confidence, just lack of confidence that you can do it. Like I said before, hundreds of thousands millions of people have done it in more difficult circumstances perhaps than your own circumstance you say well my conditioning is so terrible my the abuse that i received is you know horrible difficult people with worse conditions than than me and you have found silence we're made of flesh and blood just like they are we have the same equipment they have we're perfectly equipped to enter into silence <clears throat> we're perfectly equipped to do this practice in every aspect <clears throat> And the stronger our presence becomes, the stronger our concentration becomes, the more we see. The more we see change, change in sensations, change in energies, change in stress, change in letting go, changes in opening and closing. we see change. And change, to see change is freeing. There's this sutra, uh, the Diganaka Sutra. Diganata was a wandering ascetic and he uh, approached the Buddha and they had some polite conversation which they always do. And then Diganakta presented his question to the Buddha, or his statement. His statement was, nothing pleases me. Statement of doubt. So the Buddha doesn't argue with anyone ever. But the Buddha did say, well, Diganaka, if nothing pleases you, does you're saying or thinking nothing pleases you. Does that please you? To undercut his view. Because views cause all kinds of suffering. But Diganaka wasn't that smart. Um, He was stubborn. He said, uh, well, I still think that. So the Buddha went on further to undercut His holding on to this view, this doubt view. He said, you know, Dikanaka, you said that nothing pleases you, but somebody could come up and say, everything pleases me. And you guys could talk till you're blue in the face, but all that would amount to would be conflict and distress and contentiousness and... Disease. And Diganaka didn't want that. And he said, and then somebody else could come up and say, well, you know, some things please me and some things don't please me. And you could all three get into a big argument about who's right. So he was cutting under the belief in views. And then he cut under. The belief in body, you know, I've already talked about the body, but he said something similar. The body's inconstant, it ages, it gets old and dies and gets sick and and has pain and suffers, has disease, all kinds of things. You can't depend on the body. And then he talked about the inconstancy of feelings, Feelings can be either pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. You have a pleasant feeling. You can't have the other feelings. You can only have one feeling at once. But it quickly changes to another one and another one and another one and another one. And along with the changes in feelings, there are changes in mental formations that accompany the feelings our thoughts. A tree could be beautiful depending on our feeling. A tree could be ugly. A tree could be neutral. Same with sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touch. So, Buddha's Buddhist technique was to just remove the foundations for him to adhere to anything. And Diganaka, of course, was not enlightened, because uh, he was not that advanced in the first place, but he was, he became a stream-enterer. And that's, that's what accompanies faith. He aroused Diganaka's faith out of doubt. And so, so faith is accompanied by stream-entry. So when all of our foundations are taken away, we're just left with this, this awareness and this practice, resting in our, in our raft, finding our way through rocks and crags and currents. And not just in meditation, but in life as well. We're given, you know, instruction, but it's, you know, the precepts are instructions about, you know, a a good way to live, a way that's going to work out well for you. It's going to work out well if you don't harm people, if you're generous, if you're kind, if you speak in a friendly way, if you speak in a gentle way. If you yell at people or you snipe at people or you talk about people behind their backs in a negative way, it'll come back to haunt you. That's what we're told. But, but epinosico, come and see for yourself. Check it out. I, was, uh, I heard a uh, comedy routine by uh, Chris Rock a very funny guy. And uh, so he was talking about... He was married and he had a couple of kids. And he was talking about his, his uh, sexual dalliances. And he was making kind of making fun of his lust and stuff like that. And uh, he went on like that for a while. And then all of a sudden he stopped and he looked, just paused and stopped and looked at everybody and said... And then everything changed. And I thought, and I think many people thought, wow, he saw the uh, error of his ways. He saw that this was going to, you know, this is just harmful to his wife and children. He's going to stop it. But he surprised us all. He said, she changed. He went home and told his wife what had been going on or she found out and she changed. She left him. She took the kids and left him. And he, then he changed. He saw his karma. He saw the karma of this act. The devastating karma of sexual uh, misconduct, uh, sexual behavior that harms other people. So come and see, you know, see the, the effects, really look at it in truth. Because faith and, you know, confidence is really a confidence in truth. When we sit, we're sitting in truth. We see what's really here. What's really true about our anger, about our ill will, not just in our speech, not just in our conduct, but even in our thinking, see how much it hurts us. That's the way to be free, by seeing. Faith in karma. Hmm... So this faith is a very important quality to arouse in ourselves because we so easily drift off. We so easily drift off into what isn't meaningful. So the more we apply ourselves to this practice, the more rich and meaningful I think you'll agree. Our lives are, but it takes this faith to be called on all the time. What am I doing here? Why am I listening to the radio? Why am I on this computer screen? You know, we could give ourselves a break, but it, Anyhow, it's fundamental, very helpful quality for the strength and continuation of our practice. So I have just a very few minutes. Is there any, are there any comments about any of this or questions? Hi, I'm Jeff. Um, I have nothing against faith. Pardon me? I I have nothing against faith, but I've always thought of it as a religious concept and not necessarily a Buddhist concept until what you've shared today. Hmm. And I think part of that has to do with Buddhism being such about presence and being completely with what is. Yeah. Faith implies to me a belief that the future may be better. Right. And I want to let go of that because I think it takes me away from the present. Right. Can you address that? Confidence in the path. Confidence in the presence. Confidence in awareness. Confidence in finding our way down the river. Confidence and you said it yourself, presence in, in being here and finding the skills to continue, to be here, to continue here uh, on a path of peace and freedom and well-being. Does that address your question? So faith is not belief. It's confidence to show up. We believe in a lot of things. You know, we believe in money. We believe in success. We believe in social praise. And we believe in, you know, reputation. And we believe that all is lost if we are a failure in some ways. All is lost if we are criticized or, you know. We believe in a lot. But this is, those are our beliefs. But this is like tested out. Be here and test it out. See what the truth is. Faith in truth, confidence in truth.
2: I just wanted to say that Sharon Salzberg has written a wonderful book entitled Faith, and I wouldn't be surprised. I
1: suspect it's probably in our library.
0: ago, I think um, for the first time uh, in all my years coming here, uh, Gil uh, parsed this word faith and apparently uh, in Pali there's the word sadha for faith and then there's another Pali word um, and I don't remember what it is, it's it's a close cousin of faith but it's more... Along the meaning of confidence based on evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you get a taste yeah. of the Dharma, and you find out that it makes you happier. And then further you go, the more you see that it works. And so that's, for me, yeah. what keeps me going. Right. Uh, the, the word faith is hard for me. Um, when I was in high school and grew up as a Lutheran, And I heard some young people a little bit older than me saying with all sincerity that faith is belief without evidence.
1: Right. Um, I say it's true, so
0: it's true. Well, no, no, no. Um, Because I I think some people really do have that um, internally. Um, Every once in a great while I meet someone who does and they're not trying to convince me of anything. It's just how they feel it seems beautiful but it's never been right for me uh yeah so uh because i love science and the historians disciplines yeah um, but uh so i like that other word whatever it is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if i could only remember yeah uh, you know confidence based on evidence
1: yeah great thanks yeah yeah and bala is strength very. You know, I mentioned that it's 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 very linked to sada. Strength. Yeah. Okay. I
0: can, I can sort of see that.
1: There's someone out here. Is it? Maybe one more.
2: Hello. Um. My question is, when you were talking and you brought up the idea of the foundations and removing the foundations, and I guess I'm just confused. I'm not really confused, but I, I kind of understand it, and yet I, can, I also, am always working to get a foundation, and then the constant removal of them. Um, I, I don't even know if I'm <laughs> expressing my thoughts correctly, but when you were talking about that, that man who the Buddha was constantly trying to take that under... His doubts. His, his doubts away. So, right. Anyway, I wondered if you would speak about that just a little bit. Thank you.
1: Of what the foundation... What Can you... Not Population. quite when you mentioned that um so when, he, when, he, when, when all of those when uh, those supports were taken away the body and uh, attachment to anything um, he's left what's he left with what are we left with if we're, if we're not holding on to anything we're left with we're left with our awareness we're left just with our presence our being here so we practice being here with, you know, we use different contexts. We use the body and the breath as foundations to be here. Just as like something to hold on to, an anchor to be here. But really we want to be here. We want to be, we want to see what's going on. We want, we want to be true. We want to live in truth. It feels so good in some way, even if it hurts, it feels better to be True. Than to be in delusion and you know, distraction. So the practice helps us to uh, f- to be here and to navigate our being here in a way that feels nice and, and in a way that will perhaps lead to our full awakening where actually we're f- completely liberated from, from suffering. But along the way, freer and freer and freer. My uh, first teacher, Suzuki Roshi, said... Uh, um, Practice is like walking in the fog. You don't know. You don't think anything's going on, but after a while, you're all wet.
2: Thank you.
1: So, so may we all get damper and damper and damper <laughs> and saturated. Okay. Thank you.